Knock, knock. Who's there? Every man, woman, and child. And you need to get the gospel out to them. Well done, sir. Today on Rural Pastors Talk. Thank you for joining us. It's episode six of Rural Pastors Talk. My name is TJ Freeman. I am the lead pastor at Wellsboro Bible Church in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. And I am here with sweet, sweet Joe Wagner. <laughs> I was waiting to figure out what I was sweet for, but yeah, uh, yeah uh, I'm sweet because the Skeeters like me. That's right. I'm Joe Wagner. I'm a pastor at God's Family Fellowship Church. Joe. Yes. Do you know what I love most about Rural Pastors Talk? I bet it's Joshua McLaren. It is. Right there he is. Oh, you guys make me blush. Uh, my name is Joshua McLaren. I'm a pastoral intern. You're from- a what? Transitioning into a pastoral assistant. You're transitioning, yes. Yeah. So you you've been the pastoral intern, yes, and now you're like a a caterpillar who's crawled into a cocoon and is about to emerge as a what? A pastoral assistant. You just totally ripped off our branding. That's our transformation is our word, and that's our picture, dude. <laughs> I did didn't know that, but thanks for the subtle influence. We're here in the the studio, and we're eating pretzels and hummus. Have you guys had any, or is it just me? Nope, you. That's all you, man. Roasted red pepper hummus. I don't mind roasted red pepper pe- pe- pepper hummus. You know what other one I like? What the pine nuts? You try that one? Uh, yeah, it's okay. No, it's really good. No, it's it's okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Most of them, though, I'm like, eh, this isn't very good. The last two pods, we've started off with what we like to eat, but that's cool. Well, I wasn't going to ask you your favorite food because I already know Rolos. <laughs> hey, TJ, what's your favorite drink? My fit. Well, I'm drinking it. Pond water. No. <laughs> Yerba mate. Yerba mate. Don't offend our South American friends. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I really am. I didn't mean to be negative there. My question for you, though, is not what is your favorite food, um, because I already know it's a deconstructed candy bar. I want to know, as do all of our listeners, what is your biggest fear? Being eaten by a shark. Really? It is. I do not like to be in water that's deeper than I can stand, and I don't like to not be able to see what's underneath there. I watch Jaws at way too young of an age. <laughs> so fresh water bothers you too? Uh, swimming pools. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Every once in a while, I get sketched out if it's like a dark, shadowy swimming pool. I'm like, what's down there? <laughs> oh, man. I will not swim underwater near you, I promise. <laughs> no. Yeah. Do-do. I won't well, do that either. <laughs> no, don't do that. What, what scares you? Flying. Really? I don't like to fly. I'm doing better with it. I am, you know, I'm actually renewing my mind every single second that I'm seated on an aircraft, aka shout death, out death RC tube. Scroll. Yes, death tube uh, <laughs> with wings. Death tube with wings. Yeah, I uh, was on a plane that was struck by lightning in college on a missions trip. Didn't scare me that much then. I mean, I did. Everyone thought we were going to die, but I was. I wasn't like afraid of flying. But then I didn't fly for about ten years. And I walked into the jetway and lost my mind. Really? Yeah. Didn't want to get on the plane. Just, That's wild. It's been a struggle. But I, it's I'm, not the flying. It's the crashing. <laughs> you know, I know what it is. It's, it's a control thing. Mm. Yep. Same reason I want to drive everywhere we go. Oh, that must have drove you crazy when I drove the way to... Uh, Washington in your go kart in the go kart. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember who was driving when we got home? You were. <laughs> yes. You wore me down. <laughs> yes, indeed. Can I drive? Enough about can my sin. Can yes. I drive? Yeah. Can I drive yet? Can I drive yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Hey, we're here today to talk about every man, woman, and child. Here's what this is. Um, when I was a church planter, a, but a wee church planter years ago, 
I heard a man say that as churches, we should be taking responsibility for our geography in such a way that because our church is there, every man, woman, and child living within that geography should have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. Doesn't mean that your church does it all, but it means that you take responsibility for making sure that truly that goal is met, that every man, woman, and child in that geography has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. And to pull us back just one degree, I would say that comes out of the mandate that God has given us to be his representatives, to be on the earth, to go out into the earth, to subdue it, to make him known. I think that it's very profound in a number of different ways, but one of the things that I have always found very profound there is the repeated opportunities to hear the gospel. Oftentimes we will think if we share the gospel with somebody once that maybe our job there is done. Well, if they're near us, they're in our geography, if they're our neighbors, he didn't tell us to just go out and share the good news once, he told us to make disciples. So I think it's really profound, that mission that you have, that everybody gets repeated attempts to hear the gospel. So this is a great commission issue. This is our mandate to go into the world and to make disciples. That's the goal of that. That's why we want every man, woman, and child to have these opportunities, because we want them to become disciples of Jesus Christ. That starts with hearing the good news of the gospel. So let's break that down, Joe, and look at how much of a geography should a church be owning, and how can they realistically get at the goal of helping all the people living in that geography, every man, woman, and child, to actually have those repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. Tell us a little bit about Tioga County. All right, so Tioga County is a county of about 41,000 people. The largest town in Tioga County is right around 4,000 people. A little under, yeah, 3,600 or so. That's us. That's Wellsboro. In Wellsboro. number of other little posted stamp towns and villages and burgs that might not even have a stop sign or a red light. Some that used to have a post office and now no longer even have the post office. Yeah, it's... I think that it's probably your typical rural farming slash uh, small manufacturing community. Uh, people are generally moving out of the area. Mm. We're generally getting a little bit older. The uh, census projects that this county will be one of the many that are that will shrink over the next five or ten years. But there are still people here who need the gospel. That's right. That's right. And we have a responsibility as the church here to make Christ known to those people. That's that's what the church is meant to do. It's meant to make God's glory known in a very special way, not just in our world, but throughout the universe. So the church in Wellsboro, the church in Tioga County, etc., the one church, you know, the kingdom, should be making Christ known. So as individual local churches, though, like God's Family Fellowship, or Wellsboro Bible, or Climber Baptist Church, or Covington Baptist Church, or some of these other churches that we First Pres are affiliated with. Yes, shout out to First Pres and First Baptist, and all the others who we didn't mention and we love dearly. You know, these churches individually, we cannot get after the county. 41,000 people is too many. We can't even get after the town. Wellsboro Bible Church cannot share the gospel repeatedly with 3,600 people. It's too much. But what we can do is say we want to take responsibility and make sure that that's happening, hence partnerships with other churches. Yeah, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that there have been works prepared for each one of us to do since before the beginning of time. So God's got things for GFF to do, and in the same way he's got things for WBC to do. Sometimes they overlap, but working together with other churches, we're able to reach 
the entire community that God has put us in. That's right. So when all of these churches partner together, and, and I'm, by the way, talking about gospel preaching, Bible teaching, true churches. That's what I'm talking about. And when we come together, we will be a force that shows the love of Christ and also declares the truth of the gospel in the community that we live in. So churches working together is a big piece of that puzzle. So what we've done is we as a church have drawn a circle around what we call our circle of accountability. It's just a region where we would say, we're going to take ownership. We will take responsibility for making sure that the gospel goes out to every man, woman, and child in this geography. For us, our initial circle was literally just a five-mile radius from our church, and there were 8,000 people in that five-mile radius. Now we're, we've looked at it a little differently. We're saying, let, let's just go with the zip code. Mm-hmm. Our zip code is 16901, so we've drawn this funky little line as the, the zip code goes around the 16901 zip code, and that's what we're telling our congregation. Here they are, 10,000 people in that, that zip code. They immediately understand we can't do this alone. They also immediately understand that they need to be an active part of that. That's fantastic the way that you're able to put those numbers together so that people can understand them. One of the things that we did in a little bit different context, and I was talking about their own personal responsibility, like our church's responsibility, is when we were having a couple of different events, we did some research too. And we went out and counted houses. And the place where our church is, we're right on the edge of town, and so there's some houses that are right on the edge of town, but then there's some businesses on the other side of us. We counted within a half a mile radius, uh, 102 houses with each one of them that were occupied, and then 25 businesses within a half a mile of our church that we were going to immediately reach every single one of them and invite them out for events. So like we've got those people pinpointed as well. That's just another way that you can do it. So this is the kind of, we're talking about the kind of vision stuff. I don't mean vision like God gave me, you know, some yeah. special vision that I'm supposed to foist upon my church. That's it's the, clearly it's a clearly elucidated in Scripture. Let's just say that. There are certain things that we know are the will of God that He wants us to do. Can I just say I've never heard the word elucidated? I, I just, okay, you got it, man. <laughs> I said golly last time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thankful for your expansion of my vocabulary. <laughs> So this is taking what God's Word says and helping our people understand it. So we're applying God's Word in such a way, but that requires some thinking about ways that we can motivate and encourage and equip our folks, our congregations, to get out and make this happen. And everything we're called to do is not evangelism, but everything we're called to do is discipleship. Mm -hmm. And we recognize that that discipleship process starts with people hearing the Word of God And we do want to make him known so that every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. So what are some ways, Joe, that maybe we could help the members of our churches understand how they can develop their own circle of accountability and begin to take responsibility for the people in their lives? Well, the first thing that we would have to do that is we need to teach that and we need to preach that and emphasize that from the pulpit. Uh, I would think that probably the second thing that we need to do that is make that an emphasis in our small groups and our Bible studies, and thirdly, also in our one-to-ones, just to continue to build that culture of a need not to be ingrown, uh, but to be able to share the gospel with the people that are around them. That's great. Um, Part of that begins just like we did as churches by defining the geography we live in. By the way, when we did that, we looked at where the schools 
where are the prisons? Where are the hospitals? What are the businesses? What are the needs of the people? Who's married? Who's unmarried? All those demographic things that are helpful to define how we can best get after this congregation or this community with the gospel. We should be doing the same thing to help our, our people understand their circle. So who has God placed you amongst? All right, Josh, you've had some experience with this recently. What would you share with the folks out there about how to define what people's circles are? While I was in college, I was involved with a group called Disciple Makers, um, solid Christian group. The Lord used it in a lot of ways. One of them was evangelism and circle of accountability. As a college student, there's a lot of circles that you can fall into. There's your professors, which is kind of daunting to think about. You're going to talk to someone with a PhD. They have years and years of experience, but if they don't know Christ, they need the gospel. So there's your professors, there's your fellow peers and students. Uh, there's those in the community that your college town is in. Um, you know, I, you should be involved in a church when you're at school. So there's there's an, another avenue is to serve with your church in their circle of accountability. And then there's people that you live with, regardless of whether in your class, there's people in your major. I may be their only contact with the gospel while we're here. So I, I need to be sharing the gospel with them. There are some people who we may not think of as being in our circle. It's really easy to go, okay, you know, what circles do I run in? Well, I have my family, I have my friends, I have my coworkers. You know who you don't think about? The guy who cut your hair, mm-hmm. the person behind the counter. Um, you got to get gas in your car, right? Most people pay at the pump. Right there inside the store is a human being who you can get to know as you're paying for your gas instead of paying out there, go inside. Those are the kind of people who I think often we don't think about as we're we're kind of considering the circles we run in. Those are fantastic examples. Every time I see somebody with tattoos, I ask them why they got their ink. I just think it's fascinating, and that's something that they open up to about right away. Now, like, that's just one silly example, but those are sorts of people sometimes that – that us church folks don't necessarily talk to. Josh, you were talking about daunting people, somebody who's daunting. I think that there's some daunting figures in a real sort of a context. TJ, who would you think would be daunting? I think one of the things that makes evangelism daunting in this area is the fact that people are, there's a lot of tough guys in every generation. There are the guys who come across as cold, distant, um, if I were going to stereotype, I'd say it's a guy who's got steel-toed boots on, camouflage jacket, big wad of tobacco in his lip, and uh, an NRA sticker on his bumper, and he just doesn't want to be messed with. And he's really clear about that. I often wonder what is the best way to reach dudes like that. Did you figure it out? Going up to him and talking to him and being brave. That's the, that's the best thing that I know how to do. You know what's interesting is they're – they're not really as hardened as we might think they are. Right. And you just do what you do with anybody else. You find some common ground. Yes. You don't emphasize the uncommon ground you have. Right. I think that's a mistake we make a lot. Oh, you do that? I could never do that. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Find common ground with these people and watch them come to life. They're humans too. They want to talk about themselves like we all do. They want to be able to express themselves. They have emotions. They're real people. And it may seem difficult, but they have hearts that can be one for Christ as well. I think in a rural community, we often have our own Ninevehs that we don't like to go to. We need to go to those as well as catching the low-hanging fruit. Very true. 
in our community, just like every other community, there are sections of town even right. that would be harder to go into. And you, you would think that fruit would be less likely to come out of those neighborhoods, and we need to have Christians in those neighborhoods. Amen. In fact, there should be people in our churches who have come to Christ who live in those neighborhoods. I think that some of those neighborhoods would probably be the first neighborhoods that Jesus would go to yeah. if he were going to ministry in our town. I think that's true. So, Brother Pastor, what you could do as pretty immediate action item after listening to this would be to go out and purchase something called My Circle Training. It's a series of videos put together by Jim Murphy um, out of New York State, and it's on Vimeo, Pastoral Assistant Josh. We'll link to it in the show notes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's also really cool because you can buy each, what is there, five videos? Four. Mm -hmm. Four videos, $20 a piece, but you can rent them. For two dollars a piece, I actually didn't know that. No, you could. You can. You can if you are interested in renting those for two dollars a piece, and you don't have to put out the whole twenty bucks to check out, and see what it is. Spend two bucks and watch the video for forty minutes. It's worth it. It is worth it. And here, here are some ways. Here are some things you could take away from that right now. One thing is helping your congregation think through their circles, and just ask your members, the members of your church to write down the names of seven unsafe people. And they can dig deep. These don't have to just be, you know, family and friends. This can be one of mine is my barber, a guy I go to intentionally because I want to try to to influence him for the gospel. So he's in my circle. Another one is a friend from high school who I hadn't seen in a long time who I found out works locally and I was just able to strike up a relationship with him again. And, um, you know, think of, think of people who are a little more far-reaching than what you might naturally do. Write down seven names and then pray for those people every single week. So just imagine if you had 50 people in your church and they're praying for seven names a week. That's 350 people a week who are lost but being prayed for by Christians. That is huge. So if our church and your church and a number of churches in this circle take responsibility for that, hundreds or thousands of unbelievers can be prayed for every single week that they will come to know Christ. The next thing that does is that gives our people a heart for this community, for these circles. So you're living and working around these people. You're praying for them every week. Now you're thinking about how can I have an opportunity to show and share Christ with them. Do you also see what's going on here, too? One of the things that we often strive for, spend meetings on, is how are we going to grow the church? How are we going to get more people here? We're, we're dwindling away. We need more people in. Culture change. Change the way that you think. We are here to share the gospel and raise disciples. It's great to have people come to our churches, but that's going to be a byproduct of spiritual growth, maturity, and transformation in their lives when we share the gospel message. That's right. Yeah, as people come to Christ, they are called to unite with a local congregation to come alongside other Christians living there. And that should be the primary focus, not just how do we uh, grow the church. Absolutely. And once they get there, then it turns to discipleship. And the, the work continues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really just the first step in discipling them is helping them understand that they're lost and in need of a Savior. Um, Joe, we're just touching the tip of the iceberg here. The concept, though, is here's here's what we'd love to see as a result of this podcast. Pastors sitting down in the rural context, drawing some circles on some maps, saying, how can our church partner with other churches to make Christ known in this geography so that every man, woman, and child living here 
has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. Train your church, partner with other churches, and go before the Lord and ask him to help you make him known. We are here to represent Christ. That's the goal of something like this. Very good. Cast that vision. If you've got that, if the Lord's placed that burden on your heart right now, run with it, go with it, be praying. But then also try to plant that burden in other pastors' hearts as well. There's so many things that this is so connected that we can build relationships with other pastors and other churches and be on the same team and accomplish what God would have us do. Excellent. Well, we've meant for this to be kind of an introductory episode We'll be talking about this a lot more. If you have questions or insights and you'd like to share them, please email us at ruralpastorstalk at gmail.com or reach out to us at facebook.com slash ruralpastorstalk. Hey, Joe. Hey, TJ. I just looked at my watch. You know what it tells me? It is time to look at our inbox. We love your emails, and it's time to dive in. John Jackson, an elder at Higher Hope Church in Sunbury, Pennsylvania, writes and asks a very simple question, guys. He wants to know, how do you find qualified men to serve in leadership? Qualified men to serve in leadership within the context of the local church. Kicking it to Joe. Oh, okay. This is how we do it, and we we definitely took some cues from you and from some others, but I believe that it starts, if you're looking for them, it, you're observing them. One of the things that we do at GFF is we really consider people for leadership who are already, in a sense, performing some of those duties. You mean already already discipling, already eldering? Yes, yep. like no, in, in that sort of a sense. Um so it starts with a one-to-one. Usually it's myself kind of feeling somebody out and figuring out where they are uh, heart-wise. But then we have what we call, it's our disciple track team. So that's not just for discipling, but that's for discipling somebody into leadership. It's like a track team? Yes. They Only are. with disciples? They're the slowest track team ever when it comes to running. Um, but yeah, toward disciples. the word. Mm-hmm. And we have those guys sit in on segments of our elder meetings uh, for an hour, hour and a half or two. Sometimes they'll sit in on the entire thing to observe and then also to have their input. And we were assigning them books to read, articles to read. They're coming back and they are presenting to us. So they are practicing teaching and uh, practicing reading for comprehension and boiling stuff down. Uh, yeah, so that's been really, really good for us. We, we, we limit that to about four guys each class that go through that. I, th- I believe that we're going to have two, maybe three elders come out of this class and then uh, a deacon and then somebody else that might be part of uh, a ministry team. Are you bringing them to the Nine Marks Workshop this September? Absolutely. We would not miss that for anything. Mm. Because it's the Unless, best, best um, conference ever in Wellsboro. So, TJ, how do you do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. We start with uh, observation like you. Actually, if I can back it up just one step, I will. We pray specifically for this, and I'm sure you do the same thing. No, yeah, but really, 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 prayer is a big part of that. Like, I, how could I have forgotten it? So, yes, please. So when I came here, we had uh, two elders, and then immediately one of them moved away. And the other elder and I actually began praying consistently that the Lord would raise up more elders in our church. And we started fasting on Mondays. 
which was crazy because this was before I took Mondays off. I would work all day, and then we would have elders meetings together and pray and fast. Well, you're Ooh. you're a little uh, saucy when you haven't eaten on a Monday sometimes. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Those were good elders meetings. So, you know, the two of us began to pray, to fast, and to plead with the Lord to do Ephesians 4 for us, to bring pastors and teachers into our midst as a gift. You know, these are the gifts that the Lord has given to his church. And we're just, we're literally walking around, like, looking for presents that the Lord gave us to unwrap. So we're looking for men who are doing what you said, who are showing some signs that they are uh, an elder because they're already shepherding in some way. I think of one of our most recent elders who was having discipleship groups meet in his house all on his own. And when he came to our church, that's one of the first things he told us about. So we started doing what you said, observing him. And it was a couple of years of just watching him from a distance, not dangling a carrot out in front of him, just getting in his life, getting to know him, studying the word with him, meeting with him to pray. And it just became so evident. This is a man who the Lord has qualified to serve in this role. So then we did what you do. We brought him into what we kind of call our elder internship. It's a year-long process. And we started off with this caveat. So far, this has worked for us. I don't necessarily commend this practice, but I will sit down with these candidates and I will say to them, listen, we're inviting you to pursue eldership as an intern. At the end of this, you could decide or we could decide that this is not going to be a good fit and neither party is allowed to be sad or hurt or upset or take your ball and go home. And so far, that has worked out. Uh, some dear friends have, have pushed back on that and said, just don't call it an elder internship. Invite them into the meetings. Talk about the fact that uh, you appreciate the way that they've been serving in the body, and you'd love to, to have them in those meetings. But for us, it's just worked well to call it that. Uh, same thing. We have them do a bunch of reading. Um, we have them speak in our elders' meetings. They're not just silent, fly on the wall. We want to watch them interact and hear some of the things they have to say. Um, they don't have weight when we need to vote on things. There's no vote there. Um, but we do value their input and uh, want to watch how they function. We also usually assign them a number of discipling opportunities so that that's taking place. So we, we're, we're praying, uh, praying specifically that the Lord will bring us elders and that he'll give us eyes to recognize them. We want to equip them. We want to train them. And then we want to empower them to serve in the way that God has called and qualified them to serve in. That's how we do it. If you want to learn more about this, there's a little brown book called Elders by Nine Marks that you could read. Another really useful book for us. And Joe, I'm going to mess up the last name. Alexander Strauch, 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 Strauche. There's no E on the end. I'm not really sure how to say it, but uh, good old Alexander, uh, not to be confused with Alexander the Coppersmith. This is a good Alexander. We will put this link in the show notes for you. Yes, we will. And it will be, you can pronounce it however you want to. That book on biblical eldership was really, really useful for us, especially as we were working through, um, we had deacons and elders all meeting together several years ago and transitioning out of that into a more healthy model of biblical eldership. That was a really, really useful resource to us. Joe, the thing about this is, and I think we need to remind the listeners that this is a long game. This is going to require some significant investment. It might be that somebody that you think might be qualified for eldership, they might not be quote-unquote perfect. Uh, nobody is. But what we have done is we, when we have done our interview with them, we've walked into this and said, hey, what are your weaknesses? 
And then we've been bold enough to say is, hey, I think that this is someplace, an area where you can grow. And for somebody, it might be uh, their understanding of the doctrines of grace. For somebody else, it might be their understanding of uh, how the church is supposed to operate. For somebody, it might be um, a little bit of pride of life. And, and we work through those sorts of things to make those weaknesses strengths, bring them out to really work towards some transformation. And we are discipling and raising up leaders and not just waiting for them to come to us. And now you got to be careful too, that you don't go too fast. Yes. Oh, hundred percent agree. And also that you don't, um, ignore a significant character flaw. Exactly. Um, if somebody's disagreeable, if they're not teachable, um, if they're really, really hard to work with some of these things, but you say, ah, oh, they're so close. Don't be too quick to just rush in there just because you think you need help. Right. It's true. You need help. God intends for there to be a plurality of leaders within the local church. That's the example all throughout the New Testament. Um, so We never put a hard cap on this, on for us. Good point. We're just like, hey, we're going to keep going here until the Lord shows us something. No kid on Christmas ever said, stop giving me gifts. <laughs> right. And we're not saying that to the Lord either. We want more and more gifts of elders. He knows how many we need. Amen. You know, one one other thought is don't get discouraged if you look out in your congregation, you say there's no one qualified and no one equipped. Pray, trust the Lord. It's That is so significant. You've got to trust the Lord. He will not let you be tempted or tried beyond what you can bear. Um, with the temptation, he'll make the way of escape. Keep your eyes on the Lord. You will be able to stand up under whatever weight the Lord has placed on you as a pastor in this ministry context. So... What you can do, though, is take that step of faith, go out and start investing in some guys and see where it leads. Um, do your best to help grow them in such a way that perhaps they could even eventually serve alongside you as an elder. That sounds like fantastic advice, TJ. Thank you to our new friend, John, for writing in from not too far south of us. They have Starbucks there, you know, in Sunbury. <laughs> We have a Starbucks here in Wellsboro. Well, I don't want to discredit the sweet folks at the We Proudly Brew Starbucks <laughs> um, coffee shop, but yes, it's not real. If you can't use your app there, if you can't All use right, the app, I'm it's not you. real. Oh, yeah. okay. So anyway, Good stuff. they also have Chipotle. You know what they do have here in Wellsboro? No. Dunkin' Donuts. See, this is the the big difference. <coughs> Sorry, wait. The, the big difference. I'm gagging. Sorry. The, the big difference between TJ and I is he's a Bucks guy and I'm a Donuts guy, so... I, it, listen, if you want to drink gross coffee, that's on you. More power to you. All right, guys. Well, now we're going to switch gears and power on to our top twos. Top twos. All right, TJ. It is now time for our top twos. Oh, boy. So... You have got to tell me what your top two are. So one random thing that you would recommend, and then one church, theological, spiritual thing that you would recommend. Joe, I am so glad you asked that. I love spiritual things. I especially love a book that has helped my wife and myself and my children, I hope, to parent better. It's a book by Ted Tripp called Shepherding a Child's Heart. It's a wonderful book. Man, let me tell you, it is convicting. You're going to feel like the worst parent ever, I think, oh, walking through it. Oh, no. But it doesn't push you down. 
and and shove you down and just leave you hopeless. It is full of good practical wisdom on how to raise your children. I think my favorite section is the part where it talks about disciplining your children and how to have a conversation with them that helps them understand discipline as a loving practice that helps point them to Christ by getting the sin out of their heart. Um, somehow God works in the hearts of our children as we lovingly discipline them according to Scripture. But man, he even has some scripts that you can walk through, not so you are scripted before your children, but so that you have some groundwork laid to help you understand how you can talk to your kids through things like that. That's fantastic. I think I already have that one audible, but I haven't listened to it. So maybe Ashley and I'll make that our next one that we listen to. Pray first. Okay. <laughs> with her? Uh, yep. pray, for your, pray with your wife? Oh, that's that, crazy talk. Yeah, I heard him speak live on that. Did you? Yeah. Are you you're going to have perfect children then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, what about you, Joe? Spiritual pick. Here is mine, and it's a little bit outside of the box, but this is about bulletins. The way that we do bulletins is I put sermon notes on the back of the bulletin and the treasurer and puts in the numbers in the bulletin and then the church secretary puts in the events in the bulletin and then the worship leader has got songs. So like there's four or five people, different people who have things to add to the bulletin. How do you do that and put that all together? Well, we figured out how to build a bulletin template in Google Docs. And that is really simple because it is really free and everybody can get a Google Doc. And we have one Google Doc and everybody adds their information and it's the simplest thing as possible. So that's more advice than a a good spiritual thing for you to go out and purchase. But look into Google Docs, get yourself a Gmail. Yeah, Google, great for collaboration. We're using it for our podcast right now. It is. Yeah. Hey, um, so that's a that's a great spiritual pick, but we also like to share something just random. What's a good random pick for you? Dude, how often do you lose your keys? I don't know where they are right now. <laughs> how often do you lose your wallet? That I keep uh, that I lost this weekend, but I usually keep but close you usually tabs keep on. do you ever misplace your phone? I do. My wife bought for me a tile. And what this is, it's a it's a little thing that you put on your keychain. I've got one slid into my wallet and there's an app on my phone so that if I go to the app on my phone and push find my wallet, my wallet will sing to me or my keys will sing to me if I lose those. I can't tell you how many times I've been running out the door late for church in the morning on a Sunday morning. And I'm like, oh, where's my keys? Where's my wallet? And I reach into my phone, hit the app. Click the button, and I can find my keys and my wallet, whatever I lose. It's a tile, T-I-L-E. Look it up on Amazon. Josh will put the link. You know what you need to do, right? Hit uh, hit the button. Hit the button. I want to hear it. All right. I got to hit the button. There it is. There's the tile music. I can Man, find my phone. Who would have known? Your phone was right in front of the microphone the whole time. <laughs> Joe, what if you lose all three? If you lose all three, you're sucking out of luck. I've lost two of them before, but <laughs> never three. three. You want to know the coolest thing about it is if on my app, if I go to the Tile app, check this out. See those little circles around the picture of my wallet? The closer you get to my wallet, those circles will grow oh, bigger. Cool. So it's like a seek and find it thing. It's really neat. You're getting cool. warmer. You, it is. It's like you're getting yep. warmer and getting colder. My wife got that for me for Christmas because she knows I'm like an absent-minded professor and lose my stuff all over the place. TJ, yes. what is yours? My random pick is it act this this one snuck into the list recently. I didn't even have this on my list. It is um the Apple Pencil. 
I am a user of Mac products. I got bit by the bug. And I love my iPad. I use it a lot. I have classically used it for meetings and things like that to take notes. But it was always a little cumbersome to type in or write with your finger, whatever. So I lost my iPad and I had to get a new one. And the new one I got syncs well with the Apple Pencil. I I got the Air. I didn't get the Pro because I ain't got time for that. (laughs) And it writes just like a notepad. So I I like the legal yellow yellow legal pads. Yeah. And I made my background look just like the yellow legal pad. Yeah, that's that's cool. But man, you can write in the lines. You can you can do everything. But then it has the added feature of if you double if you long press, it'll draw a straight line for you. Whoa. Yeah. Very, very useful. If you like to take notes, you want to have all your notes together with you all the time, synced across multiple platforms and not lose them, you can do that on your iPad. And the Apple Pencil is what makes it all possible. So that's really cool. I probably would lose it. I bought a case that has a holder for it. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Speaking of Apple, somebody asked me this morning in Bible study what the actual fruit was in the uh, the forbidden fruit in the tree in the garden. I, I know what it was. What was it? It was dragon fruit. Dragon fruit, really? I don't know. I told them it wasn't the was not the apple in the tree, it was the pear on the ground. <laughs> ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> nice. On that note. Yes. On that note, thank you for joining us on this episode of Rural Pastors Talk. We hope it's been a blessing to you. Would you help us get the word out? How can they do that, Joe? They can tell their friends, obviously, but they could also give us a please give us a five star review and go and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean or wherever you go get your podcasts. They can also join us on Facebook.com slash rural pastors talk and share our community so that other pastors in our context of the rural church can be a part of it. Cool. Thanks for being here, Joe and Josh. You guys are the best. You're the best. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I love you, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Listeners, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time on Rural Pastors Talk. Hey, by the way, if you'd like to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. RuralPastorsTalk at gmail.com. 